Circuit Chapter 6 Janet drives along the Las Vegas Strip, glancing into her mirrors frequently. You folks are way more trouble than you are worth. Not me. Them. Where are you taking us? Right now I am driving randomly through cell zones. Does anyone in this car have a cell phone? Janet and Richard both hold up their smartphones. Rookies. Sorry I didn't ask hours ago. Please throw them outside. Paige and Richard both comply. For the record, they can track you with those. You know that, right? Also, just because you aren't talking doesn't mean they aren't listening. They drive for a minute. Then she says, Where are your wallets? Eddie and Paige retrieve them and offer them up reluctantly. Start tossing the credit cards and identification out. Keep the cash. When they are done they roll up their windows. Let's hope they follow your electronic footprints when that stuff gets stolen. I should have thought of that. Got a plan, Richard? Not much of one. Richard and Paige are sitting side by side on a broken down couch that rests on a dilapidated porch overlooking a swath of lake and weeds. Oscar leans against a peeling rail a few feet away. He's playing with the lighter. He fills his hand with puffs of gas, then sets it alight. He's going to burn himself. The flame is too cool and it's not in his hand long enough. When Eddie and I were kids, Dad's friends would show us that kind of thing all the time. Everyone was Mr. Science. Eddie loved it. I got bored. Were you and Eddie really that much different? When you're trapped with your brother day after day, year after year, it's always a struggle for identity. Someone has to be the good one, someone the bad one, someone the smart one, someone the artistic one. Eddie was the eager, interested, open kid. I was the bored jerk. Richard shakes his head, sits forward. He reaches in his pocket and pulls out the cube. Wake up. It becomes a scorpion. This is elegant. It's brilliant. It's just Eddie all over. And that makes it a mystery to me. What was he trying to say? What's that? Richard holds out his hand to show the bug to Janet. He rolls his hand from palm up to palm down and the scorpion adjusts its position to stay on top. Eddie sent it to me. Janet rises, comes to look at it. She reaches out to touch it. Paid waves are off. Don't. It shocks people. Oscar comes over to look at it too. Looks like the repair drones in the old lab. They were bigger, slower. Janet looks at Richard. I didn't know you were talking to him before he died. Richard shakes his head. Paige responds for him. It came in the mail. Janet looks at Richard, then rises. Eddie was a good guy. Just completely impractical. He wanted a better world and he wanted it now. He took risk after risk. I could never understand that. I hate the idea that someone might get hurt on one of my projects. Big or small, anywhere in the world. Safety first. Some risks are worth taking. A project like the Harvester needs serious investment. The kind only governments can make. It's not a bunch of guys building a monster in a tin can in the middle of the desert. Eddie didn't make monsters. He made miracles. Richard studies the rhythmic movement of the scorpion as he passes it from one hand to the other. I suppose he did. Janet stands up. I'm exhausted. It's been a long time since I had guests, but I believe I can make you all comfortable. She walks in the house leaving the door open behind her. Oscar, Richard and Paige follow her in. Richard and Paige are in bed. She has her eyes closed and he is staring at the ceiling. They are newly washed and their hair is wet. You have to sleep, Richard. I can't believe I put you in this position. Paige turns over, kisses his shoulder. Eyes still closed, she speaks. There's no place I'd rather be than here. I've spent my life fighting for lost causes. Built my career on them. Eddie's dream seems like something worth fighting for. Richard looks at her and she smiles. Honey, I don't know what's going to happen. They could arrest us, hold us indefinitely. We're terrorists. She sits up and props her head on one hand. No, we aren't. Just because someone sticks a label on you doesn't make it so. Eddie wasn't making a bomb. You don't want to hurt anyone. You have something they want. That's all. Something they'll do anything to get. You'll find a way out. 
Watch and see. Richard pulls her head down so it rests against his shoulder and she closes her eyes again. He kisses her and she snuggles up against him. Richard's eyes remain fixed on the ceiling. It is morning. No one else is awake. Richard, fully dressed in freshly laundered clothes, waits in the kitchen. Janet comes in and pours herself some of the coffee he's brewed. Can you drive me into town? I need to get online. Why? There's something I want to try. Janet looks away, nods, rises. Let's go. As Janet and Richard pull into the parking lot of an office building, Richard looks around at all the empty spaces. This is a billing annex for the local phone company. Landlines only. No one is here on a Sunday morning, but it's got a T3 connection to the internet and I have some software that can give you anonymity. That's handy. You seem to have a lot of ways to fly under the radar. Eddie and I met a decade ago when he was shopping for broadband access that couldn't be tracked. And that's something you could offer him? Did you ever notice that governments are all about protecting their secrets and stealing all of yours? She pulls into a parking space and Richard gets out. Janet leads Richard to a desk in a cubicle on the third floor of the building. Outside the window her car can be seen in the parking lot. She sits down at a workstation, types a few characters, clicks on something. Now any page you hit will think you are coming in from Bern, Switzerland. I have a tunnel into a server there. Great. Janet stands up and lets Richard take her chair. He removes the cube from his pocket. Wake up. The scorpion unfolds. Richard turns to look at Janet. She stares at the screen expectantly. Richard stares at it, glances at the scorpion, and begins typing. His first connection is to a search engine. He types in a string of numbers. A series of pages come up. He clicks on the first three or four in succession. He doesn't find what he's looking for. He sits back, studies the scorpion. After a time the colors on the triangle swim. His brain is struggling to turn colors into letters which it finds an unnatural thing. He leans forward and tries a search for T-E-R-E-S, nothing comes up. He tries T-E-Q-R-E-S, nothing again. Then he tries S-E-R-Q-E-T. This search brings up new pages that reference the Egyptian goddess of scorpions. Heart pounding, he clicks the image search button. On the first page of a long list of images he finds a scorpion that sits before him. Richard clicks the image and he is taken to a page where a picture of Eddie's pretty little scorpion fills the screen. Janet looks at it, then at Richard. Richard clicks on the scorpion and a series of multicolored squares start to fill the screen. Janet reaches over to turn the computer off. What are you doing? Janet gestures at something outside the building. A helicopter is flying toward them. Black cars are pulling into the parking lot. There's a the sound of glass breaking somewhere in the building. Richard looks at the scorpion on the desk. Sleep. The scorpion folds up. Richard snatches it up and stuffs it in his pocket. He follows Janet through acres of cubicles toward a bank of elevators. Before they reach them, the doors slide open and four men in black combat uniforms come onto the floor. Richard and Janet both duck down. Crouching, Janet leads Richard into a computer room. She pulls up part of the floor to reveal a long drop to the floor below. She slips through the gap and Richard follows. He hangs from the ceiling for just long enough to slide the floor plate above them back into place. In the basement there's a pass through to the next building. Janet walks Richard across the hall to the stairs and starts to lead the way down. Richard stops her. You've done enough. What are you talking about? They don't want you. They want me. If Eddie had wanted you involved, he'd have sent you the message. He didn't. Janet stares at him. He wanted you safe. So it's time for you to go underground now. Thank you for all your help. Eddie was very lucky to have you. Richard enters the stairway and the door closes behind him. The basement is filled with thick conduits and racks of wires and equipment lockers. The concrete floor echoes as Richard walks. As he enters an underground passageway to a neighboring building, Richard hears something. 
He turns to find Colonel White following him down the corridor. The two men in black with the colonel are armed. White carries a military issue nightstick. Richard raises his hands over his head. Fine. I give up. You got me. Colonel White continues to walk toward him. They meet and Colonel White bashes Richard across the face with the stick. Richard drops. Richard, lying down on the couch in the corporate den wakes up. His hand comes to his jaw which is badly bruised. He starts to sit up then leans back again, his eyes close. Dwayne, Paige and Oscar all have their wrists bound with plastic ties. Dwayne's black bag is between his feet. Well, at least he's not dead. Richard, are you okay? Where did you go? Why didn't you take us with you? Colonel White watches the group from the rear chair. One of his men is behind him with a club. Richard. Paige stands up and moves toward him. Get back in your seat. He might have a concussion. I said sit down. Richard struggles into a seated position and looks at Paige. I'm okay. Richard looks anything but okay as he moves into one of the standard airplane seats. He turns to look out the window at a darkening sky. Oscar, Paige, and Wayne are all looking out the window. Richard is sleeping with his head against the glass. We are very far north. Arctic Circle. About 20 degrees latitude, judging by the time of day and the stars. Alaska. Canada. Alaska. We're not being kidnapped by Canucks. Stop talking. Richard opens his eyes at the sound of Colonel White's voice. He turns his head to look out the window. Below him is a marshy arctic wasteland surrounding a military base featuring two dozen hangars and what looks like a large concrete and steel office building. We're making our final approach. Please take a seat. Please. I've never been abducted so politely. The plane starts to descend. Pay attention boys and girls. The fun is about to begin. Richard. Shepherded by Colonel White and two base MPs walks across the tarmac to an elevator. Paige, Dwayne and Oscar follow several hundred feet behind. Shepherded by a single guard in front and another one behind. Both are armed. Dwayne carries his bag awkwardly before him and his legs are clearly giving him trouble. Once the elevator doors close, Richard watches Colonel White press the button for the top floor of the facility. I'm meeting the big boss I guess. Colonel White and the two guards ignore him. Good. Always go straight to the top. That's my motto. Dwayne shifts uneasily from foot to foot as they wait for the elevator Richard disappeared into not so long ago. Are you okay? Cold makes my bones hurt. They don't have a treatment for that? Dwayne turns to look at him. Yes, they do. Lots of magnesium. I have to carry it with me. Really? I'm glad you've got something that helps. Dwayne picks up his bag and holds it. Bottom out as he steps inside the elevator. He stands near the door. Oscar follows Paige and crowds her into the wall behind Dwayne. Before the guards can enter there is a huge explosion of white fire from the base of Dwayne's bag. The soldiers fall back, their clothes on fire. The doors close on them as they fight the flames. Dwayne presses all the buttons on the elevator. It chooses to go down first. Dwayne drops his bag and jerks it open as the elevator doors open on the first floor below the tarmac. Dwayne, Oscar, and Paige ignore it. Dwayne searches his bag and finds a heavy-duty Swiss Army knife. He turns to Oscar who holds out his hands. Dwayne snips the binders. Oscar returns a favor then cuts Paige free. Dwayne pulls a bunch of objects out of the bag and shoves them in his pockets. When the elevator opens on the second floor below the tarmac he steps out. Leaving the bag behind. Oscar and Paige follow suit. Before the doors can close, Oscar slaps four of the disc-shaped magnets he got from the expo on the edges of the door. The next time the elevator arrives on this floor, the doors won't open. As the doors close, Oscar, Dwayne and Paige look around. They are in a concrete hallway that extends in four directions. 
They look down the hall straight ahead and see a row of doors. At the end of the hall there are double doors large enough to drive a truck through. Oscar strides to the nearest door along the hall and tries to open it. It's locked. Paige, perceiving his objective, runs to the next door on the opposite side of the hall. She has no luck there either. Oscar tries a third door. It opens on a locker room. Richard, hands bound, sits in a leather chair in Wilde's elegant office. The curtains are drawn to hide the lab floor. The curtains over the window that overlook the airfield and base are uncovered. Richard rises to look out at the tarmac. He sees a fire burning and men rushing to extinguish it with white foam. Colonel White, arms crossed, watches them from a position near the door. The MPs stand at attention nearby. Richard speaks without looking at Colonel White. You killed my brother. He killed himself. He was driving the wrong way on the highway. I meant in the helicopter. You wanted to bring him here. Richard turns to look at him. White says nothing. Richard looks out at the base again. Sees a military fire truck driving up. The door behind him opens and closes. Richard turns around to face Wilde and for a moment, there's a sense of relief. It fades to something grim. Relax Richard. You're among friends. Richard looks at Colonel White, then back at Wilde. Really? You can't call us strangers. The Yangtze, Angel Falls, the Denver Dam, the Brazilian Project. We've been working together for decades. Strange. I feel I hardly know you. Wilde walks to his desk, pulls open the curtains, invites Richard to look down on the factory floor. Look at them. Aren't they beautiful? Based on designs created by your father and brother. Richard stares down at the monsters which look like cleaner versions of the thing that almost killed him 48 hours ago. Have you turned them on? It goes badly. One was quite a handful I thought. We can produce at 1% over unity. For every megawatt we put in, we get 1.1 megawatt out. Pure, clean, raw power. Richard returns to his chair, regards Wild with the machines hulking behind him. Great. So, why am I here? Because we both know your brother had something better. I funded his work for years, provided him with logistical and technical support through a variety of third parties. When his work reached a critical stage and I offered him a more direct relationship along with a sizable advance, he disappeared taking what I had paid for with him. How does this concern me? You must know how I felt about Eddie's work. I know, he gave what we paid for to you. What on earth makes you think that? We never spoke. Not once in more than a decade. No contact at all. He sent you a package. With a map to the facility in Arizona which had one of those monsters in it. He was a madman. What else did you find there? Dr. Wilde, my brother was insane. Like my father. You understand that, right? What they wanted to invent, what they kept trying to create, was a perpetual motion machine. Start it up and it will run forever. That's not how the world works. We know that. You may have something you think works, but I don't believe it. What was in his lab? Nothing. Wire, tools, the toys of a lunatic. If you got that thing working it's more than Eddie ever did. He wasn't crazy Richard. He was brilliant. Misguided, tragically idealistic, but brilliant. We need, the world needs his next step. I can't believe he would let himself die without passing it on. You're the last person he tried to contact. I need to know what he said. Richard looks out the window at the machines. Now I'm wondering how much of my life was a lie. It's not a coincidence that my consortium of investors is chaired by a man who has built a career on my brother's work. I worked with your dad in his earliest days, followed him after he left the military. We were friends on different tracks. Me working within the system, him running from it. He died leaving two sons and I knew their worth. I found a way to help you and Eddie both. You had no interest in your father's work and Eddie did. I supported you each in doing the work you most wanted to do. The office intercom beeps. Wilde presses a button on his desk. Yes. Your guests have arrived doctor. Thank you. Wilde turns to Richard. 
Like your father and your brother, you're a good man and an exceptional engineer. I need you to help me solve a problem. Your brother promised me something that I promised to someone else. He subsequently vanished. So you told the feds he was a terrorist? Eddie threatened to release what I paid for to the rest of the world. In the wrong hands, that would be a bomb. What are you talking about? Every terrorist in the world armed with infinite power? Every dictator? Every criminal? Eddie never understood. Richard shakes his head and looks down at the monsters. I see. Unlimited power belongs only in the hands of the right people. Oscar, dressed in what looks like white clean room scrubs, walks down the hall dragging two heavy garbage cans on wheels that are overstuffed with plastic bags. As he moves down the hall he tries each of the doors. Just a janitor making his rounds. Far behind him the elevator doors are being banged on. Well, I guess now they know what floor we got up on. He walks faster, now heading directly for the double doors at the end of the hall. What is this place? Says one of the bags. Weapons lab of some kind. Not munitions. Says the other. Security is incredibly loose. Where can we run to? Only way in or out is by plane. Every plane that lands here is a military flight. Sooner or later they will catch us. Oscar steps through the double doors an instant before the elevator doors are pried open. Oscar stares at the giant machines, which from this angle look like a forest of tree-sized white ants. Each is grounded to the floor by thick black electrical cables. Jesus. I thought one was more than enough. Richard, hands in his pockets, stares out the window at the machines. Wilde stands at his side. No one knows better than I do how motivated you are to solve problems that will save lives. Richard turns to look at him. I need the technology I paid for. I know Eddie kept his data online, but it moves continuously, and that he intended you to find it. He didn't tell me where to look. Downstairs I have two generals. I've promised them, as your brother promised me, the moon. My career, my entire life, is on the line. So your life and the lives of your friends are on the line too. You didn't want anything to do with Eddie's work. I invested hundreds of millions of dollars in it. Wilde steps back, gestures at his workstation. You are going to give us both what we always wanted. Richard removes his hands from his pockets, walks toward the workstation, and sits down. Wilde looks at Colonel White. Shoot him if he tries to leave. Wilde leaves the room and Richard stares at the screen. The lab is the length and width of two spongy football fields. The field of ants takes up most of the space. A forest of tall black boxes fill one corner and it is near these that Oscar Page and Dwayne are standing. What's this spongy stuff on the floor? Several feet of rubber. It's non-conductive. Think of the bugs as lightning collectors, or lightning generators if you prefer. They want the electricity to go into the wires rather than striking all around the room. You wouldn't want anyone to get electrocuted. Are you sure? Maybe I would. The siren begins to wail and instinctively they all look back toward the double doors. A red light is spinning. Dwayne walks toward the closest large black box. He runs his hands over it as he walks around it. Paige and Dwayne follow him into the forest. Standing in the black cushion cave between two boxes Dwayne shakes his head. I think if they were willing to use all hands on base to find us, they would have us already. I think someone is trying to find us quietly, which means those sirens are because someone is starting a test. Are we safe? Here? Of course not. You're an electrical field. Don't you think it might be a bit disrupting to stand in a forest of electrical generators hard at work? That's not good for people. Paige reaches out to touch the boxes. These won't protect us. These are capacitors and batteries. This is where all the power goes. Oscar is studying the boxes. If we break something, what happens? Dwayne looks at the boxes. He shakes his head as if he's doubting his sanity. It would stop the test, that's for sure. I'm not sure it wouldn't cause a fire. I'm thinking these blocks are probably lithium, 
He walks to the front of one of the batteries, pulls out his heavy-duty pocket knife, and starts cutting into the insulation. As he pulls chunks of the soft black rubber away, it's clear that the insulation is more than a foot thick. Oscar steps back. Let's try fire. He reaches into his pocket, pulls out his high-energy laser unit. He focuses the white light on the rubber. It melts holes in the insulation as if were butter. Dwayne looks at him with new respect. Good help is so hard to find. Oscar smiles. Paige looks toward the doorway, where the red light is spinning, then turns to look at the slow ropes of blue lightning crawling up and down the harvesters. I still don't quite see how this works out well for us. Richard scoots his chair closer to the computer and pulls the colored cube from his pocket. Time to wake up the dragon. The cube unfolds and Richard places a scorpion on the desk by the keyboard. Colonel White sees some part of the motion and comes to look over his shoulder. What's that? A clue, I think. While the colonel looks at the scorpion, Richard uses a computer keyboard to search for Sarah Kett, the scorpion goddess who can both hurt and heal. This is the perfect name for the tiny mechanical creature before him. Eddie intended his masterpiece to both create and destroy. Richard finds and clicks on a photo of Eddie's scorpion. Richard clicks the link and the brightly colored scorpion dances on the screen. Richard glances out the window to see what's happening in the lab. Wide bands of electricity are crawling up and down the harvesters. It is orderly, laconical. Entirely well-behaved lightning. Richard clicks the scorpion dancing on screen and is given a page that is all one color. Mystified he clicks. The page changes to another color. Richard sighs, sits back, and starts clicking faster. What are you doing? Learning. Richard cycles through a series of 36 non-repeating colors. An alphabet and numbers. After the third pass, the pattern changes. Intuitively, Richard encodes a sentence using the code he just learned. 31,363 to deploy design worldwide and 999,999 to access working archive. Wondering what to do, where Paige Dwayne and Oscar are, and how they are going to get out of here. Richard stares at the screen. Wild, the generals, their aides and a half dozen operators watch the machines run from the relative safety of a control room just off the lab floor. And a loud crack occurs as the operators follow Wild's instructions to let the harvesters produce more power. One of the generals leans over to speak to Wilde. What was that? Discharge. Perfectly normal. As you can see, gentlemen, we are 1% over unity. The units are producing power. As we bring the system down you'll notice that all systems cleanly stop cycling. Continue the test. I want to see what we've been paying for. General, I must insist. You've got 1%. Let's see if we can get two. Paige is trying to push her way through the double doors. They now appear to be locked, probably to ensure no one walks onto the lab floor during a test. The light over her head is flashing red, garishly illuminating Oscar and Wayne as they come up behind her. The three saboteurs look over their shoulders with concern. A long arc of lightning reaches out from the closest end to strike the newly exposed metal skin of a battery. This plan has some serious flaws. Why aren't they shutting this thing down? Maybe they can't. I want this door open. Just then the double doors do open to reveal three of Colonel White's men in black along with a team of firefighters dragging hoses behind them. Wild is pointing at one of the meters. 2.5%. We've more than doubled our output, General. Not by much. And look at your lab. Shut it down. One of the lab assistants rises. Doctor, we have a short circuit on battery 3. That's not unexpected. 
Just shut the system down. The technicians in the control room move to obey. It's clear, from their behavior, that a short circuit is not at all to be expected. In fact, it is a very bad thing. This is a circus, Doctor, and you are a clown. General, I don't think you understand what you're seeing. I certainly do. Fraud, misappropriation of government funds, outright theft, gross incompetence. I assure you that is not correct. You're looking at decades of research, entirely new technologies. You can tell it to the judge. Doctor, batteries 3 through 6 are fusing. The input is being rerouted to the other units, but they are heating up. Doctor Wild, I've cycled the system, but somehow power output is increasing. How can this thing melt down? Critical failure is supposed to lead to automatic shutdown. Isn't that right, Doctor? They all look toward the room. The mechanical ends are now coated with a thick sheen of blue plasma. Long streaks of lightning keep striking the batteries. Now batteries 3 through 11 are fused. Capacitors are critical. Richard is standing, looking down at the floor of overloading harvesters. Colonel White and his men are watching as well. No one in the room is particularly surprised to see that things have gone wrong. Wilde strides into the room. Behind him, Paige, Wayne, and Oscar are being shoved into the room by men in black. Where's my data? Richard gestures at the computer. Its screen is flashing the names of university websites worldwide, one right after another. Colors flash in a fast sequence at the bottom of the screen. Richard gestures at the scorpion on Wide's desk. That's what Eddie developed. That's what you paid for. What? Wild moves forward and crouches down to look at the bug. Only power and a lot of hands will make the world a wonderful place. That's what the colors say. That little creature never needs batteries. It collects and stores just enough power for its needs. Wild reaches for the bug and gives a shock that brings him to his feet. He clutches his burned hand with wide-eyed surprise. Richard picks up the device. He rolls his hand from side to side and the scorpion follows the movement. You were thinking big, Dr. Wild. Eddie was thinking small. You wanted power you could control. Eddie wanted power everywhere. Harvesters work too well. Once tuned to the resonant frequency, power collection starts. If it's not used, and can't be stored or discharged fast enough, the system melts down. Something small can run forever because it never overwhelms its storage capacity. And even if it did, you'd have a minor accident, not a disaster. Richard looks out at the lab, now burning despite the foam coating the floor. Sparks are continuing to fly. Wild moves to look at the computer. So where are the plans? Right about now, I'd say they were everywhere. Wild looks at him. Richard looks at Paige. It was a bomb. I was the traitor. All I had to do was let it go. Eddie gave me a bargaining chip but I couldn't bring myself to use it. I thought about trading my life, our lives, for his technology. But I don't want people like him to run the world anymore. The lights go off. Richard turns around and looks at the now monstrous machines. The forces they have generated are now tearing them apart. Richard walks away from the window and toward Paige. I'm sorry I couldn't do the right thing. You deserve better than a Maxwell. We're all insane. What are you talking about? You did the right thing. How could you do anything less? I didn't think you had it in you. Did you right about you? Your heart was in the right place. Arrest them, Colonel. We'll see how happy they are spending the rest of their lives in a federal prison. Colonel White, illuminated by electrical flashes, looks from Wild to Richard to Wild again. He turns to his men. We're done with this madness. Let's head out. Oscar, Paige and Wayne race toward hangars at the far side of the airfield. Behind them smoke is billowing. Have to say, those harvesters sure put on a great show. That debate, it would never have occurred to me to blow them up in batches. Left alone, Wilde is watching the machines melt into form. The roof above the lab is torn open. Pale stars illuminate the sky and a gentle snow has started to fall. Six months later Richard and Paige are seated on the couch watching TV. Paige is very pregnant.
Dwayne is demonstrating a water filtration unit on the National Morning Show. A small vaguely insectoid machine is lazily swimming in a big tank of dirty water rapidly becoming cleaner. It can process hundreds of gallons of water in a day, and can operate without servicing for 15 years. It forms the waste it collects into hard bricks that drop to the bottom of the sea. 3.5 million people die from unclean water every year. This unit has already been adopted by 41 countries so far. The host picks up another device and holds it up for the camera to view. That creates heat. You can drop it into soup, or use it to heat an oven. You can use a slightly larger version to heat a house. It shuts off at the temperature you specify or when it senses combustion. There's no need to burn coal, or gas, or use nuclear energy to turn turbines. We can deliver clean power anywhere. The host puts a unit down. She picks up an object that looks a little bit like Eddie's scorpion. More utilitarian but still insect-like. And all these products use the new Maxwell passive generator. It's hard to believe something so small can make such a big difference. At Maxwell Brothers Engineering we like to say that a little power in a lot of hands will make the world a wonderful place. Paige smiles and Richard gives her a hug. This has been Sir Cat written and produced by Nancy Fulton. Story and voice audio recording copyright 2020. All rights reserved. For more great audio dramas go to audioiron.com.